Jesus answered, you have seen him. I think Jesus means that in a lot more than, okay, you can physically see me standing here. Welcome to Working with the Word, a weekly podcast designed to equip you with the skills and confidence for deeper daily Bible study. I'm Jeff O'Rear. And I'm Emerson Brown. Thank you for tuning into the 62nd episode of Working with the Word. Now that we've done some observation, let's do some interpretation and application in John 9. We are continuing our recent trend in these episodes to jump right into our discussion. But if you have a moment, please go back and reread this chapter on your own or listen to Emerson read it from episode 61, starting around the 5 minute 20 second mark to the 10 minute and 9 second mark. Now we're getting into the sixth sign that John highlights for us from Jesus' ministry as we're getting into this chapter. Remember, our recent chapters are falling into these descriptions of controversy and conflict leading into the crisis that we see here. Much of that appears to start after Jesus heals the paralytic on the Sabbath in John 5. Here's a similar situation where Jesus heals a man who was born blind on the Sabbath. For the most part, our discussion of this chapter follows the verse order, but rather than focusing on a more verse-by-verse structure, we want to see how the people of this chapter develop. It all starts with the question they're posed by Jesus' disciples. Then after we see these two verses where the sign actually takes place, just a very short section there where the sign is actually brought out, we want to pay special attention to the development of the Pharisees and the blind man. Within this conversation, we need to notice the blind man's parents, as they are contrasted with the blind man and the faith that he has in Jesus. Which leads us to our final and most important need to see Jesus in this chapter. He's only speaking and active, as we might say, at the beginning and end of this chapter, but his discussion with the blind man in verse 35 through verse 38 continues to back up this whole reason about why John writes his gospel for us. Just some teasers in there. We'll notice some of those things that we'll talk in our discussions. But let's get into this discussion today and opening up by how did the disciples open this chapter? Yeah, so it begins when Jesus and his disciples are walking by and they just happen to see a man blind from birth in verse 1. And so his disciples ask Jesus, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? Now, it's kind of a a strange way to start a discussion about some stranger that you see. Their assumption is that his suffering, the fact that he has been born without eyesight, is a direct result of either his sin or his parents' sin. And we know from other scriptures that that's not necessarily true. We're not going to get into that. I don't think today we don't have the time to do that. It's not really the focus. But, you know, just suffice it to say that, you know, if you look at the book of Job, clearly not all suffering is a direct result of sin. Right. And so when the disciples saw this blind man, they saw him as a subject of a theological discussion. But Jesus turns it into something very different. He saw this man as the subject of a healing. And as he answers them, Jesus says, neither this man nor his parents sinned. This came about so that God's works might be displayed in him. And so Jesus is going to use this as an opportunity to give a very concrete example, a very concrete piece of evidence of the fact that he is the light of the world. I think Jesus first said that in chapter 8, verse 12, Mm -hmm. I am the light of the world. Well, he repeats that here in chapter 9, in verse 5, as long as I am in the world, I am the light of the world. So Jesus is going to show that 
that he can give this man sight, and therefore, if he can give this man physical sight, then he must be able to give him spiritual sight as well. I think there's something else we need to understand about this this blind beggar and how the disciples look at him. They saw him as a nobody. He's not really that important. I mean, they didn't even offer to help him or anything. They just said, okay, why is this man suffering the way he is? Mm-hmm. And eventually, that's how the Pharisees are going to treat him later on. They're going to accuse him of being born entirely in sin and throw him out. And so this man is a beggar who nobody really thinks is that important, but he's going to turn out to be an incredible example of faith and courage. In fact, he's really going to be the only one in the whole chapter that has faith and courage. Yeah. And so from this question, Jesus goes on to display the works of God by spitting on the ground, making some mud, putting that mud and lather it on that guy's face, (laughs) and then saying, go wash it off. Again, not necessarily that Jesus had to do this. This is how he chose Mm -hmm. to perform this sign. And so as he goes and he sends this man to the pool of Siloam, which means sent, some connection there to verse 4 as Jesus is doing the works of the one who has sent him. This man, in verse 7, he goes, he washes, and comes back seeing. Like we mentioned, there's this emphasis on the sign, or John puts these emphasis on the signs. But when you read the chapters that usually contain the signs, the signs aren't usually like, here's some long description of the step-by-step process, and that's our... It's really more about the people. And so Mm -hmm. from this, and probably we have all kinds of questions of, okay, why... Why this order? Why that place? What did that look like? Why the mud from spit? Yeah, why (laughs) that? Yeah. Even the questions of the blind man. Within this, he's almost not even mentioned other than the fact that he's the one who receives the mud on his face and he goes to the pool and he washes. Did he have some knowledge of Jesus and who Jesus was? And so he that's why he had faith and believed. Is this something that just he decides to do because he sees it as you know, someone's trying to help me and, hey, I'll give it a shot. He goes and he comes back seeing. And at least in this discussion with these last few verses in verse 8 through verse 12 of the people around him are like, hey, that guy's, that's his doppelganger. You know, that, remember that blind guy? That's the guy that looks just like him. And he's trying to now explain, no, it's actually me. Right. It's not my doppelganger. You know, supposedly we all have doppelgangers somewhere in the world. I, maybe you've had people tell you your doppelganger, Emerson, and I've had people tell me mine before. I've heard people say that you and I look alike from the back. That's true. Yeah. Uh, Hal Hammond's commented on one of our recent pictures and said that, yeah. how are you not blood related? <laughs> but he has to go on and say, no, I am really the one. And so it leads into this discussion. Discussion isn't really so much of, wow, praise God, this guy can see. But people are trying to be like, okay, but how? And that really leads mm-hmm. us into the Pharisees and their part in all of this. They're just... No, it seems so hostile, especially as the chapter goes on more and more. We see it mentioned there in verse 14 of John chapter 9, the day that Jesus made mud and opened the eyes was a Sabbath. And that's very similar, like we mentioned, to what happened in John chapter 5 when Jesus heals this paralytic man. And it's going to now maybe be ringing a bell for them or it's going to be for them, hey, we weren't happy when Jesus did this back then, and that's why mm-hmm. we were already upset with Jesus, but now we're going to make it even more upset. We see that hostility going forward 
with it transitions more and more from how they're feeling about Jesus to them putting that then on the blind man. So it starts with them asking how he received his sight. And in verse 16, they say about Jesus, this man is not from God because he does not keep the Sabbath. I mean, that's the big reason there. He's healed on the Sabbath. One note somewhere says something about the fact that Jesus, you know, had made mud. Maybe some people thought that as like building or construction. And so that's breaking mm-hmm. the Sabbath. Again, according to their very strict traditions, they've made and kind of gone beyond what the law actually said. And so the blind man tells them, listen, this is this is what happened. He, he tells them, he's told the people in the crowd, he appears to have told the Pharisees at least once. And they're saying, you know, how could this sinful guy really perform such a sign? If this guy really is a sinner or someone who is not connected with God, how could this possibly work? And then the, they go on to say again in verse 24, okay, really, how, how did we come to this conclusion? And the way they phrase it, give glory to God. We know that this man is a sinner. It's almost like they're trying to twist his arm. They're trying mm-hmm. to twist him into saying, agree with us and what we believe about Jesus. It's not so much of mm-hmm. uh, you actually believe this or this is actually what happened, but let's agree to give glory to God in this way by you know just conferring with us what we already know about Jesus. Yeah, and I think that statement, give glory to God, is kind of a, a way to to put someone under an oath or force them into making a confession. I think that's what Joshua told Achan in the book of Joshua whenever Achan was narrowed, it was narrowed down that somebody had had taken something from Jericho and it was narrowed down to Achan and his family. And so Joshua told him, give glory to God. So there, and, and in that case, it was a good thing. I mean, Achan had done something wrong. Mm-hmm. But here, they're, they're, like you said, using it to twist his arm or, you know, we want you to tell the truth and we want you to agree with us. Yeah. <laughs> So yeah, it's it's they're putting the pressure on. And as he, the blind man is just kind of dumbfounded by their amount of pressure on. I wonder if he received like any attention ever before from the Pharisees or like if it's just kind of like all of a sudden, you know, here's all of this, you know, people are coming to him, asking him questions. They're all super interested in what this blind guy has to say and mm-hmm. really trying to get him to be on the same page. He kind of has the same of, hey, do you want to become his disciples? And the Pharisees get really mad about that. Hey, you may be this guy's disciples, but we're Moses' disciple, kind of that badge of honor they've shown before about mm-hmm. we're followers of Moses, we're children of Abraham. And when Jesus has those conversations with them, or even when this guy has conversations with him, you know, they say things like, you know, we know that Moses comes from God, but this man, we don't know anything about him, even though read back through the book of John so far, and how many times has Jesus talked about the fact that anyone who's seen me has seen the Father, or I've come from the Father to do the Father's will. We have no idea where this guy comes from. Really? He's said it multiple <laughs> times. He's let right. you know where he's from. And as this man just continues to stand up for Jesus and saying, listen, this is what this guy did for me, they get so frustrated, they cast him out. And like you teased earlier, they treat him you know, similar to the disciples, but even going a step farther and saying, you were born entirely in sin, maybe accusing, you know, some type of immorality in the way he was conceived, or you now he's not mm-hmm. necessarily like a legitimate son, or even just to saying that, you know, who are you, formerly blind sinner person, that you should teach us about, you know, what it means to be a follower of God or a disciple of God. And so they throw him out of the mm-hmm. synagogue, or they throw him out of the place where he is. And just a 
you really see a glimpse into their heart. Their hearts here are full of pride. They're bullies. They're self-righteous. Something we'll get into more a little bit later. Of Here is this man who was formerly blind, who now sees in much more way than one, explaining to Pharisees how really blind they are spiritually. Yeah, one of the things I think we learn from the Pharisees before we get get off of them they start out with an unbelieving attitude toward Jesus already. I mean, they, they're already hostile to Jesus, mm-hmm. but it quickly becomes less about we just don't like Jesus and more personal for them. I mean, they, they become personally insulted when this blind man simply states the facts about what happened to him and leads that and takes that out to its logical conclusion that the man who opened my eyes must be from God because <laughs> it would be impossible otherwise. And so it, I think that it teaches us that unbelief is often offended by truth. And we it's easy to, to say these are arguments against Jesus or these are arguments against the Bible. But a lot of times those are just smoke screens that really cloud the issue of, of our own blindness, our presuppositions. Um, and, and so we have to be careful that we are not the, that kind of a person any, uh, either. Yeah. We have to be careful that we're not that kind of a person either to where we're ignoring the real issue and we're just insulting other, other people and just attacking the man as kind of a logical fallacy right. instead of dealing with the real issues, the facts of, of the evidence of who Jesus is and what the Bible is. So I think that's one of the important things we need to learn from the Pharisees here. Their unbelief was less a matter of they had logical arguments because they really didn't. It was more of a heart thing for them. Their their hearts were just blind. Yeah, absolutely. I think that's lots of really great points. One thing that the Pharisees do as they're trying to figure out, okay, what happened to this blind man, is they, they go to probably someone who would know him as much as himself or more than himself. You see... In verse 19, or in verse 18, they go, they don't believe the things that he's saying about himself, that he was really cured of his blindness, that he was blind and received sight. And so they go to his parents, right? Who's going to know if this man mm-hmm. was really born blind better than mom and dad? And so the Pharisees in verse 19, is this your son, the one you say was born blind? How then does he now see? So how do the parents respond to this? What do we see or what do we learn from them in this chapter? Yeah, well, you would expect that the parents would at least be on the blind man's side, but they, they really aren't. I mean, they acknowledge, yeah, this is our son, that he was born blind. So they're willing to acknowledge him in that way. But in verse 21, they say, we don't know how he now sees, and we don't know who opened his eyes. Ask him. He's of age. He will speak for himself. And so they they really distance themselves from their son and say, look, he's a, he's a grown man. He can answer for himself. Don't get us involved. We don't want, we don't want any trouble here. We just want you to talk to him. He, he's able to speak for himself. And verse 22 actually gives us insight into their heart and their motive of why they said that. Mm-hmm. Verse 22, his parents said these things because they were afraid of the Jews, since the Jews had already agreed that if anyone confessed him as the Messiah, he would be banned from the synagogue. This is why his parents said, he's of age, ask him. So they're less concerned with defending their son, standing up for him, taking his side, 
giving him the benefit of the doubt. They're less concerned with that, more concerned about saving their own skin. Right. We don't want to be cast out of the synagogue because we don't want to be aligned with Jesus, or we don't want to be potentially even associated with Jesus in any way. And so they had already bowed to the fear of the Jews and being cast out of the synagogue. Um, Just one thing about being cast out of the synagogue, John is the only gospel that talks about that. And it's a reality that that would come to fruition both for the blind man himself. I mean, later on in verse 34, they threw him out. And later on, Jesus is going to tell his own apostles. I think it's in John chapter 16, they will cast you out of the synagogue. Mm -hmm. And it's a reality that many Christians faced in the first century, Jewish Christians, that they would be cast out of I mean, a synagogue wasn't just a place where you would go to worship. It was like the center of social life. It was a part of their their culture. And so to be thrown out of the synagogue would have been basically like treated as an outcast by the whole community. Yeah. And so it's not just a matter of you can't come in this building anymore. It's a matter of you don't belong in society. And so they're afraid of that. But what's amazing is this blind man, he is willing to stand up for Jesus, no matter what the cost. Mm-hmm. And he is willing to, to state the facts and to let those facts lead him to the conclusion of who Jesus is. So really, he is an amazing and incredible example of courage, unlike his parents. His parents just kind of are spineless here, in my, in my opinion. That might sound harsh, but I think it's a, a fair assessment to say that Spineless might be a strong word, but it shows that their lack of courage to to stand up to the Pharisees and to at least stand with their son, if not start to investigate and stand with Jesus as well, mm-hmm. which is really what this blind man goes through in this chapter. Imagine all the things that this man could have talked about. I mean, he's seeing green He's seen blue. He's seen all of his colors for the first time. He's seen the faces of his parents for the first time, the faces of other people. And people just want to talk to him about Jesus. And you know, he's never actually seen Jesus either. And he's just trying to process himself, you know, mm-hmm. mentally and emotionally where he was before taking this bath, is one way to put it, to now he, he comes on the other side of that and he can see again. And he's trying to wrestle and process all of that just as much as the Pharisees and the crowds and his parents are trying to understand that. And yes, while he gains that physical sight, it's more important to see that he gains spiritual sight. He's working mm-hmm. through what's happened to him to see you know, there's something special about Jesus. And as we look through you know, really the big discussion with him and the Pharisees, his testimony in verse 13 through verse 34 you can tell that he's he hasn't quite come to a full grasp or understanding, and Jesus is going to help him get there in just a second. Mm-hmm. But I mean, he seems pretty convinced of this isn't some work of the devil. This isn't some false teaching. This isn't some false deception. I mean, something is going on here, and God's hand is involved. And while you look at me as a sinner, or the disciples look at me as a sinner, um, I don't think he would necessarily phrase it like this, but the works of God are being displayed today, and we need to acknowledge that, and we need to do something about that. Like we've highlighted kind of in our introduction, and like we are highlighting just a moment ago with the contrast between this man and his parents, I mean, there's just such great faith and such great conviction 
from this man as he stands up for Jesus and discusses Jesus. Things like in verse 30, when he challenges the disciple or when he challenges the Pharisees, and they say, you know, we don't know where this man comes from. And he's like, this is an amazing thing. You don't know where he's from, yet he opened my eyes. And verse 32, throughout history, no one has ever opened or heard of someone opening the eyes of a person born blind. This man were not from God. He wouldn't be able to do anything. He's saying, listen, I, it's almost like I know you're the religious leaders. I know you're the guys who <laughs> supposedly have all the knowledge, but I can tell you from my experience here what happened, what went down. Right. And, and it's pretty obvious that this Jesus guy is connected to the Lord in some way. And even though it leads to him being cast out and he's rejected, you see that someone is willing to accept him. I think there is one important lesson we learn from the blind man, and that is that faith is often formed in hard times or when you are pressured or maybe persecuted for your faith. That's the exact situation where this man had to work through his faith and work through what happened to him. And as you were mentioning, I mean, it was a progressive thing where he didn't, okay, he came back saying, and all of a sudden he believes in Jesus. That's not the way it worked. It only worked through him being questioned and him being challenged and him even being threatened mm-hmm. and insulted and throwing, thrown out of the synagogue before he gets to the point where he recognizes, yeah, this, is, this really must be the Son of God. Jumping ahead just a little bit, but I think when we think about faith, we should not think about it as something that always comes easily. But as we go through hard times, those can form a crucible to test and strengthen our faith, just like this man's faith was tested and therefore strengthened. Mm -hmm. So as we see him, as we see him, as we see him seeing (laughs) both physically and spiritually, Jesus has this interesting statement to close out this chapter in verses 39 through 41. Jesus said, I came into this world for judgment in order that those who do not see will see and those who do see will become blind. Some of the Pharisees who were with him heard these things and asked him. Now pause for a second. What are the Pharisees doing? At this point, it's Jesus. He goes to the blind man who's just been cast out of the synagogue. Like seeing Mm -hmm. what this blind guy's up to spying on him. Are they doing so out of curiosity for... What's going to happen to this guy next? Maybe some of them felt bad. Are they just there to snoop and see maybe he goes back to Jesus and they can try to trap Jesus in some way? Anyway, somehow some of the Pharisees are there and they hear Jesus say this. And they ask, we aren't blind too, are we? And as we've stated before, Jesus saying Jesus things, he says yes, but he doesn't say yes just outright. He says in verse 4, if you were blind, Jesus told them, you wouldn't have sin, but now that you say, we see your sin remains. And so it's like he's telling them the fact that, yes, you are blind, but I'm not going to say it just outright like that. I want you to consider, mm-hmm. I want you to think about and grapple with the fact that you don't see who I really am. You claim to see that I'm not from God. You claim to be able to see and say that we're not blind. But now, because of the fact that you're saying that, because of the fact that you believe that, is showing that you really are actually blind. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I, it's almost like when Jesus makes that statement in verse 39 that they're aware that he's talking about them. It happens sometimes. Right. It happens in the Gospel of Luke. It happens one time when Jesus tells the parable about the wicked tenants. They're kind of like, hey. 
And it seems like mm-hmm. the Pharisees are starting to get the hint. They're not necessarily yeah. going to do anything about it, but they're getting the hint. And that's just going to continue to add fuel to the fire for this crisis here. Mm-hmm. But the really important section here, I think, as we conclude the so what of it all, is verse 35 through verse 38, when we're seeing this section on real sight. As we've been talking about this whole time, it's not really just that this man sees physical Jesus, but he's getting spiritual sight here. Yeah. So Jesus goes and actually seeks him out, where whereas the Pharisees had thrown him out of the synagogue, Jesus actually goes and finds him. And, you know, I think this is one of the things that I wonder about this chapter. I, I think that this blind man has never seen Jesus before. Like, like when he when he came back healing, or when he came back seeing after he was healed at the beginning of the chapter, Jesus was no longer there. So it wasn't like, oh yeah, I recognize that man. He's the guy that told me to to go. No, he he hasn't seen Jesus. Mm-hmm. He's heard his voice and he's obeyed his voice. So Jesus goes and seeks him out and asks him in verse thirty five, "Do you believe in the Son of Man?" And he answers, "Who is he, sir, that I may believe in him?" And Jesus answered. You have seen him. And I think that's more of, uh, I mean, it's, yes, it's obviously, you've, you're looking at me right now. I am the son of man. Jesus clearly identifies himself as the son of man there. But he, I think Jesus means that in a lot more than, okay, you can physically see me standing here. You have seen who Jesus is. Mm-hmm. You have seen the light of the world in your heart. And the faith that you have is the sight he's talking about. Mm-hmm. And so in verse 38, he says, I believe, Lord, and he worshiped him. And so here's where we bring this all back to John's purpose in writing this. In John chapter 20, he's writing these things so that we may believe and reach this same point that that this blind man did where he worships Jesus. And I might be wrong about this, but I can't remember any other place in John up to this point where someone worships Jesus. Jesus has talked about worship, like in John chapter 4 with the woman at the well, you know, what true worship is about, worshiping the Lord in spirit and truth, but no one has worshiped him like this before. And so this is a big moment in in John, and Jesus accepts this worship, and um, this this is what the Son of Man is all about. He came so that people could see who he is, and see what his purpose was as the Son of God to die for us. And so you see how this man goes from being the poor, blind beggar at the beginning of the chapter, who has nothing, to at the end of the chapter, he still has nothing, but he's no longer a blind beggar. Uh, at least he's not blind anymore. And he's he's rich spiritually, and he has spiritual sight. And that's that's the most important thing that we need to seek for in this chapter is that we can see Jesus as well. So that leads us to our challenge today. In this chapter, we get a good eye exam, and that means that we can only see spiritually as clearly as we can see Jesus. So as our challenge today, we want you to consider Jesus's very direct and frank question to the blind man in verse 35 do you believe in the Son of Man? Consider that for yourself. And what would your response be? Do you believe in the Son of Man? And we know that most of you who are listening to this would probably answer yes to that. 
but we don't want you to give just a quick yes without really thinking about what you're answering to or why you're saying that. We want you to really consider the why. And if you give a yes, how does that change your life? What does that mean for your life? And that's really the most important question you and I have to face. Do you believe in the Son of Man? And if so, what are we going to do about that? That's our challenge for you today. Thank you for tuning in to Working With The Word today. We'll continue our inductive study of John next episode with John 10, where the crisis escalates not because of what Jesus does, but because of what he says. Until then, if there are questions, topics, or books of the Bible or difficult passages you would like for us to cover in future episodes of Working With The Word, you can find and reach out to us on Facebook at Working With The Word, on Instagram at workingwiththeword.podcast, or send us an email working with the word podcast at gmail.com that's all one word working with the word podcast at gmail.com so until next time may you grow in the grace and knowledge of our lord and savior jesus christ to him be the glory both now and to the day of eternity